you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, I know what some of you are thinking. A little bit of deja vu going on here. What's Dan doing up here again? Maybe a little buyer's remorse? All right, so, so last week... Uh, I was up, I had the opportunity to preach up here because, as I told you, uh, JP had gone to summer camp with our students, and he was a little sleepy, couldn't get ready for the sermon, so he asked me to step in, which I was excited to do. Then, Steph started feeling a little sick, Elise wasn't feeling well. Turns out, summer camp COVID struck the family, uh, and so they're in quarantine, they're all doing okay, getting better. Uh, JP is actually asymptomatic, but, uh, and he will be out of quarantine tomorrow, but that gave me another opportunity to preach. So whether you like it or not, here I am. I'm excited to be here to share with you. Oh, stop. Wait until I'm done and then you can tell me if you like it. Okay, by a show of hands, how many of you here like horror movies? Scary movies, come on, say it proud. Put your hand up proud. Thrillers. All right, much better showing than first service. I had three people that were like, me. Okay, horror movies. You either like them or you avoid them like the plague, typically. Uh, I, I'm not really into them so much. I'm okay watching them. Sometimes I watch thrillers and stuff. My wife cannot stand things that scare her in movies. She does not like jump scares. She does not like the creaking of the wood in the dark, you know, cabin, right? And so whenever we've had a chance to watch like a thriller or a scary movie or something, this is pretty much how it goes. We're sitting on the couch. We're watching the happy couple trolloping through the forest. And then they get to the dark cabin. And then the creepy music starts. And immediately, Michelle's head lands in my lap. And either there's a pillow over her face or she turns away from the TV. And as the couple walks into the cabin where the creepy murderer guy is, she asks me to give her a play-by-play of what's going on. Okay? So her head's on my lap. She's not watching it. And I have to be like, okay, they're walking into the cabin now. Oh, the door is opening. Oh, look, there's a murderer with a giant ax in the corner. If you've ever done it, completely ruins the entire movie, okay? I'm trying to like be in the moment with them. She wants to know what's going on, but she's too scared to actually enjoy it. And so I have to give her the play-by-play narrative, which completely like takes me out of the moment. It's not a lot of fun. She's too scared to watch these movies. Now I say that because if you were here last week or you heard the message last week, I left you with something that if you really think about it is quite scary. It actually is easier to watch other people do it and have them tell you what it's like than to actually do it yourself. In the Christian world, there's this word that strikes fear into the hearts of many a believer. So last week, if you remember, my message ended with, as we learned about Paul's backstory, knowing Jesus changes your life and sharing Jesus changes the world. Right? And then I talked with you about if, if I know Jesus 
And knowing Jesus is so important, it's more important than anything else in my life, then why would I not want to share that with the world? Because as people know Jesus, it changes the world. And I gave you some tips and ideas and things for how to do that. But here's the problem. There's this word that strikes fear in our hearts as Christians. Evangelism. It's like in Lion King, you know, when the, the jackals are like, Mustafa, right? You say evangelism, and I think for many Christians, there's this picture in our heads of if I'm going to evangelize, meaning if I'm going to share about my faith in Jesus with someone, then I need to be prepared to respond to every question and every concern and every problem they raise, and it freaks me out. Because if they ask me a question I can't answer, I must have completely doomed them to hell for all of eternity. Right? Because it all falls on me, and I need to be prepared to give my answer, and it has to be the right answer, the perfect answer, and the perfect time. And the Christian church has tried to encourage evangelism, but often does it in a way that is really uncomfortable and really scary. And so last week when I shared with you about how important it is that we share Jesus with the world, Maybe some of you left with a little bit of angst because you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about my faith at work, right? Or maybe you're like, oh, my neighbor, oh, he needs to know Jesus, but oh, sharing Jesus, oh, that's so hard. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to extend the discussion from last week, and we're going to talk about what could it look like for you to share Jesus with the world. Now, we're going to bounce around in Scripture quite a bit, uh, all in the New Testament, uh, but we're going to start in 1 Peter, because 1 Peter has something in there that's often used uh, to be a motivator for evangelism, a motivator for sharing our faith. And we're going to read that, and then we're going to talk about what does that really look like. So if you want to grab your Bibles, 1 Peter will be in chapter 3. It's towards the back of your Bible if you're new to this. Electronic Bible scroll all the way to the bottom. It's one of the last few books of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3. So Peter, uh, the apostle, he wrote this book. He wrote it uh, at a time where there was a lot of persecution in the church. And uh, Christians were having to hide. Christians were being beaten. And they were being ostracized from their communities. And so having, making the choice to become a Christian in this time, in this area, could potentially mean that you had to that your family would disassociate themselves from you. Your job may let you go. Being a Christian in this time was hard. And so Peter is writing this book to a group of exiles, he calls them, who are living in this land, in this area, but they're, they're exiles kind of because their faith in Jesus separated them from the culture, and so the culture pushed them away. And Peter is encouraging these Christians in this book in ways to live out their faith given the context of the difficult culture that they're in. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, he says this. It's also up on the screen. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's a tall order. Always be prepared to give an answer. And unfortunately, what has happened in the centuries since this was written, we have turned 
always be prepared to give an answer into, I must be ready to answer every question that anybody could possibly ask me about my faith. And it's scary because we really can't. We really can't possibly know how to answer every question, no matter how hard you try. But what we do know is that it's important for us to share Jesus with the world. We know that it's important for them to get to know who Jesus is. And we also know that those people we're sharing our faith with will have questions. And so we do need to know how we can be prepared to give an answer. And so what we're going to do with our time is we're going to go through a few different stories in the New Testament, and we're going to use those as case studies. Because here's the thing, this Bible, this book, is filled with stories of real people who lived in real time, in real communities, and God used them in ways to impact the world. You all are real people, I think, right? You all are real people living in real time, in real communities, and you have a story to share. You all have a Jesus story to share. You have this intersection of your life's story with God's story that needs to be shared, and that is what people need to hear. The world needs to hear the story that you have to share. And so when we get caught up in our fear of evangelism, when we want to share our faith with our neighbor and suddenly we see Freddy Krueger and we want to turn and run, then we've created this thing in evangelism. We've created this thing about sharing the good news with other people and made it into something it's not. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to step back a little bit and we're going to demystify what it looks like, what First Peter is telling us as far as being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. So we have this book filled with all sorts of stories. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through three different case studies. We're going to look at three different passages. And we're going to see what is it in these passages that helps us understand how we can give an answer for the hope that we have. Now, I want to just warn you up front. We're only doing three there are hundreds more of these types of case studies. There are hundreds more examples in this Bible of lives that we can look at that we can say, oh, hey, here's another way I can be prepared to give an answer. And if I did that, we would be here until next Sunday when JP will hopefully be back. So we're only going to hit three today. But what I want to tell you is I don't want you to just leave here saying, okay, which of those three should I do? You can. If one of them sticks out to you and you're like, hey, this is a good, re good way for me to be prepared to give an answer, then take it and run with it. And if not, I just want to encourage you to be in this book, to be reading through it and trying to see what is God telling me about how I can use these stories to help other people know Jesus better. So that's my caveat. We're going to hit three case studies. The first one is in the book of Luke. So if you want to turn to the book of Luke, towards the beginning of the New Testament, we'll be in Luke chapter 12. So Luke is part of the story of Jesus' life. Jesus, God, became a man, lived his life, showed us how to live, died on the cross for us, and rose from the dead. Luke tells us this story, and in the midst of Jesus living his life, he teaches us a few cool things about what we should be doing. Now, I am going to warn you, especially in this passage, there are some pretty deep theological things that I'm just going to blow over because they're not meant to be in the context of this. If they, have, if they cause questions in you, you're welcome to ask. Um, but I want to 
We can spend hours just talking about the first few verses I'm going to read. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 8. Luke 12, verse 8. This is Jesus talking. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. This next verse is a real hang-up for a lot of people. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You can spend an entire sermon talking about what that means. I'm just going to tell you, if you were here and you were listening to this, then you are not one of those people. All right, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You're not one of those people. Verse 11, this is the key part. Jesus says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. What if one of the ways that we can give we can be prepared to give an answer for the reason that we hope we have is to answer from our trust in Jesus. What if we just trust in Jesus enough to say, God, I know that you want me to share you with other people. I am going to take that step of faith and I'm going to talk to somebody and I'm going to let your Holy Spirit guide me in that process. What if I don't know the answer about how the universe was created? And they ask that. Well, God, I'm going to trust that your Holy Spirit's going to guide me in that conversation. Uh, Jesus, as he's approaching his death, as told by uh, John in John's gospel, uh, Jesus spends a lot of time talking with his disciples and preparing them for uh, his departure. And he says to them, it's good. This is John 14, 15, 16. Jesus says to his disciples, it's good if I leave, because when I go away, I will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be at work in you. Jesus says, it's better if I go because this Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to do amazing things in you. What if we allowed that Holy Spirit to be the vessel that speaks in and through us as we trust in Jesus to communicate his love to other people? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead now lives in us. That same power, the Holy Spirit, that brought Jesus, a man, back from the dead, now lives inside of us. Imagine if we trusted in that power enough that we could get over our fear in sharing our faith with other people and trusted the Holy Spirit was going to help us as we talked with our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors about Jesus. What if instead of burying our heads in our husband's lap in fear over the axe murderer, we could stand up and we can look and we can say, I'm going to face this fear and I'm going to be willing to say, hey, do you know Jesus? And let the Holy Spirit, the power that God puts in me as a follower of Jesus, guide that conversation. Maybe it'll be okay if you don't have all the answers if the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading the charge. Luke chapter 12 says, we answer from the context of putting our trust in Jesus. Our next story is in John chapter 9. Next gospel over, John chapter 9. So John chapter 9 uh, tells us a story of a man who was born blind that Jesus gives sight to. 
Now, if you've read enough about Jesus, uh, you know that he spent a lot of his earthly ministry performing miracles and doing wonders and signs and all sorts of amazing things. Uh, people were following him because they're like, I want to be healed too. I want to be healed, right? But on this particular day, Jesus heals this man in a strange way, and it causes some angst with the local Jewish authorities. This is John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man, born blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was kind of a common thought in that day, that if you had an ailment or a problem or a difficulty, there was sin involved that caused that physical manifestation. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus does like the weirdest thing in trying to heal this guy, in healing this guy. Verse 6, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Ew! Do you think the man knew that it was coming? Like he couldn't see. Do you think if like he realized Jesus was going to spit and make mud and put it on his eyes, he'd be like, ah, maybe not, right? We don't really know. We don't know. There's all sorts of theological ideas about why Jesus did it. I'm not going to talk about those here. The important part is Jesus made mud with his saliva, put it on the man's eyes. And then verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word meant sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And in verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to, the, to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Now here's the problem. Jesus made mud. It happened to be a Sabbath day, which in Jewish culture was an important day of celebration for God for them, and so no work was going to be done. Uh, so Jesus technically violated the Jewish laws according to the Jewish leaders, and they were not very happy. So here's this man who's been healed, a miraculous healing of his sight. And what you see, I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, but this man is brought before the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders at the time, and they're like, they're trying to basically get him to call Jesus out as a bad guy because they wanted Jesus' ministry to stop. And so they bring this man and they're like, hey, isn't Jesus a bad guy? And he's like, I don't know, I can see now. I think that's pretty cool. And they don't like his answer, and so they send him away, and then they ask his parents to come. Now, this guy was an adult, but they're like, hey, we need your mom and dad to confirm. His parents come, and they ask him, them the same questions. They're like, is this Jesus guy a sinner? What's going on here? They're like, ask our son. He's an adult. He knows. So then the parents go away, and then they bring the son back for a second time. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 24 of John 9. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, referring to Jesus, we know this man is a sinner. And the blind man, formerly blind man, replies, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I don't know much about Jesus. I don't know the theology of the coming Messiah. I don't know his history or his parentage, but here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. 
So the story of Luke tells us that we can be prepared to give an answer out of our trust in Jesus. And what we learned from this formerly blind man is we can be prepared to give an answer solely based on our personal experience with Jesus. We can be prepared to give an answer based on our experiences with Jesus. This guy knew nothing about Jesus except that he healed him. And he was excited about it and he was telling people about it. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I love this. He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? The best part of the story. Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) He completely missed what they were going for. But his excitement over this experience with Jesus so changed who he was that this blind man's just like, I don't know. I don't know how this works. I don't know why he had to spit in mud and put it on my eyes. But one thing I do know is that Jesus was an amazing man who gave me my sight. We all have a Jesus story to tell. And maybe one of the ways we can be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have is merely by being willing to share about our personal experiences. Now, I want to take a moment because I noticed this last week when I was preaching. There's a few faces here, some new families, uh, maybe some of you who don't know my backstory. And so I wanted to take a few minutes and kind of share about my personal experience with Jesus. Uh, you'll see up on the screen, this is my family in case you've not met us before. Uh, from left to right, that's my younger son, Matt. And then me, my wife, Michelle, and then my older son, Nate. This picture was taken about three years ago, just before my older son, Nate, went off to college. And then in this next picture, this was taken about three weeks ago, you'll see my younger son, Matt, in the back, who's decided he's not going to cut his hair anymore. My wife and I are flanking our kids, and then my older son, Nate, is in the front. And you might notice Nate looks a little bit different. So if you don't know my story, uh, my son, Nate, was in an accident two and a half years ago. He was hanging out with some friends, riding a skateboard, and collided with a pickup truck. We got that phone call no parent ever wants to receive in the middle of the night, rushed to the hospital, and the end result of that is is my son has a severe traumatic brain injury. We have a new Nate that we've learned to take care of and love. But this journey has been difficult. This journey has been painful and agonizing, but we had to make a choice as a family whether we were going to allow this experience, this part of our life story, to, to be one that brings glory to God, that shares Jesus out of our personal experiences in this moment, or whether we were going to run and hide in fear because we didn't want to accept what was happening to us. We have this journey that we're on and our vulnerability, our willingness to share on social media and with our friends on different platforms has helped people know that you can still love Jesus and have a difficult life. Life is better with Jesus in it, but it sure isn't perfect. Now, we've been on this journey for almost two and a half years, and I just want to share for some of you that maybe aren't following what's been happening, uh, something that Nate did for the very first time this past Thursday. So turn your eyes to the screen. Good Good job, buddy. Good Good job, job, buddy. 
five, your kiddo. Give me five. You have no idea how much joy that brought us to see our son write his name. So what's interesting is about, it was just about a year ago was the first time Nate pointed his finger. It was about three or four months ago when Nate started moving his hand and grabbing things. It was not too long ago when we could tell that he could read. And then now just a couple days ago, he can write. Like what an amazing journey that he has been on and how awesome it is to know that out of this experience, out of this journey we've been on, as difficult it is, as it is, that God can be made known. God can be glorified in it. And so we take these experiences, as difficult as they might be, and we use them. How do we give an answer to people for the hope we have? Oh, man, this stinks. This is hard and this is terrible. But we trust that God is doing something. Let me share that with you. Let me share what it looks like to walk through a difficult time with Jesus. You don't know Jesus? Let me introduce you to the Jesus that has carried us through the most difficult two and a half years of our life. Now we're going to put this picture back up on the screen of our family because what I want you to see is that this picture on the right was three weeks ago and we've been able to share our faith in Jesus through our personal experiences that we've been going through the last couple years. But even that family on the left, a month or two before Nate's accident, still had amazing, an amazing Jesus story. You don't have to be going through tragedy or pain or suffering or difficult times to show your faith in Jesus, to share your faith in Jesus. Your life can be going great. You can be going, everything can be awesome. At that time in that picture on the left, I was helping lead the youth ministry here. We had just gotten back from summer camp. We were about to go on vacation. Everything was great. And yet we were still able to share Jesus with our friends and our families out of our personal experiences with them, even in that good season. So I say that because sometimes we, we say, okay, well, if life is going bad, then I can share Jesus with people about how he's helping me. But then how do you do it when it's good? And no matter where we are in life, you have a Jesus story. Your life intersects with what God is doing in this world. And so we can answer people. We can be prepared to give an answer to people no matter where we are from our personal experiences with Jesus and in this world. So Luke tells us, that we can be prepared to give an answer as we trust in Jesus and lean into his Holy Spirit. This story from John, I don't know, but I was blind, but now I see we can share Jesus with other people through our personal experiences. Our last is going to be in the book of Acts. One more book over from John, Acts chapter 17. Now, Acts is the story of the early church. So Jesus, in the Gospels, he lived his life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. The beginning of the book of Acts, we see Jesus ascend to heaven and he leaves his disciples behind and he says, now it's your turn. Go change this world as you share me with this world. And so Acts tells the story of the early church, the conversion of Saul that we talked about last week. Acts 17 is part of uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, missionary journey. He goes to this city called Thessalonica uh, talks to people about Jesus there. Some of them start to become Christ followers. Uh, some of the non-Christ followers get feisty and they are about to riot and attack Paul. And so Paul sneaks out of the city. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. 
On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That's just kind of what they did. Verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Now you just wonder, like, when the Thessalonians got this writing from Luke, were they like, hey, wait a minute, what's up with that? I don't know what that means entirely, but the Berean Jews were cooler than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So this is interesting. They spent time studying God's word to confirm what these teachers were teaching them. Here's what's interesting is that today uh, we often think that effective evangelism requires us to have some seminary degree or be an expert in the field or have access to Google maybe at least, right? How many of you guys have ever been like, uh, hey Google, uh, did God start the universe? You know, or something like that, right? Somebody asks a question, how did the universe start? Or why is there evil when there's an almighty God? And you can look it up on Google. These people back then didn't have any of that. They didn't even have Google, if you can imagine. And yet they studied the scriptures. They, they looked into what Paul was saying so that they can determine if what he was saying was true. And out of that diligent study, they could share Jesus with the world. So our third case study tells us that we can be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have because of our diligent study. It is possible to reconcile science in the Bible. Despite what the world might tell you, science and the Bible can actually work together. The origins of the universe, the origins of man, the origins of the species, the Bible supports an appropriate way that can be supported by science as well. Why is there evil when there's an almighty God? That's a hard question, right? Questions like that is what makes us afraid of evangelism. What if I tell you I believe in Jesus and your response is, well, how can you say that there's a God when my wife died of cancer? How can you say there's a God when my son was murdered? How can there be evil in this world and still an almighty God? Those questions scare us. And so one of the many ways that we can be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have is by studying, studying the scriptures. There's organizations, Stand to Reason, Reasons to Believe, that do this research that can help us understand how do we support our faith in this culture that in many ways can be anti-Christian. So there are lots of ways that we can go about sharing Jesus with the world. Peter tells us to always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. And here's three ways that you can do it. What if you just go out and you say, I'm going to share Jesus with my neighbor and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's going to guide me in this process. What if I want to share my faith with my coworker and I say, you know what? I was struggling with sin and addiction and then I met Jesus and he changed my life. What if you did a little research and you, tried, and you understood how it is that the Bible came about and how reliable this book is based on the number of manuscripts that exist for it? And you can share that with somebody as a starting point for why it is that it's worthwhile to trust in Jesus. You see, evangelism can seem scary 
when we make it into something that is a, this has to be the way it is, you need to be prepared to give an answer to every single question that could possibly be asked of you. The very first time as a young college student that I went out on an outreach effort, I was going to UCLA, we went to downtown LA, and we had little sacks of food, and we were going to hand out those sacks and, and to some of the homeless people and try to talk with them. The very first person that I gave a sack of food to opened up their bag, didn't like what they saw, and threw the apple at me. That's scary. <laughs> for a young college student, right? And so there are elements of faith that can be scary. We have to confront these things in us that are like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust God to work out the details. I'm going to trust that I can have opportunities to share my experiences. I'm going to study so I can reason with people. There are other stories of people like David and Moses and Noah who live their lives doing things that we can look at and we can say, what if we use them as a model for how it is that I can share my faith with the world? Now, some of you might have this nagging question going on. We're in the middle of this series on the book of Philippians, and we have yet to open to the book of Philippians. Hmm. So why don't you turn to Philippians? We're going to close our message with a few verses from the book of Philippians. And I'm going to just kind of show you how we tie it together. Because here's the thing. Each of you in this room is a different person. Each of you has your own unique background, your own unique family history, your own unique story of what's going on in your lives right now. But each and every one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, are called to use that story to share Jesus with the world. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to back up a little bit to what I read last week, starting in verse 12. So remember, Paul tells us his backstory a little bit, and then he says, none of that means anything compared to knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the most important thing, and so we need to know Jesus, and we need to share Jesus with the world. And then he says this in verse 12. Of Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live to what we have already obtained. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. The people we read about in this book serve as a model for us. Paul, Luke, Timothy, Silas, Peter, Jesus, Moses, Noah, Deborah, David, Hannah. These people in this Bible serve as a reference. As we look at these case studies, we see, look at all the different ways our creative God enables us to share his love with the world. Don't let evangelism, don't let this process of sharing your faith be something that's so regimented and so rigorous and so scary that you never take the step to do it. You have a Jesus story to share. It's different than mine. 
but it's an important one. And whatever your story is, people need to hear it. People need to see your life as a model to follow, just like we read, that leads them to Jesus. And so I pray that as we end here, that in your minds you would be thinking, what am I afraid of in sharing my faith? And how can God work in me to bring the light of Christ into somebody's life who needs it? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your love and your patience with us. Uh, Lord, there are certain things that you do call us to that are scary. Certain things that may happen that may result in somebody throwing an apple at us. But Lord, you call us to step out in faith. You call us to go and shine your light in the world. When you left, you left behind your Holy Spirit that empowers us to speak for you in this world. And so I pray that every person in this room who knows you would feel that power welling up in them, Lord, that you would provide each of us an opportunity in this week ahead to share your love with our neighbor, our friend, our family, whatever that might look like, Lord. There are people in this world that are hurting, that need you, that need to know your grace and forgiveness. And so I pray, Lord, that we would grow in our trust in you. We would be willing to share the work that you've done in our lives, Lord, that we would study and explain and do whatever is necessary so that everybody that we come in contact with would know you better. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for enabling us. And we just pray, Lord, your blessing over us as we go and share your light with this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.